bad at? I could tell you a whole lot of things I'm really bad at. Like, come on. But uh, I'm really, really, really bad. You ready? At naming sermons. Like for the first 10 years, we'd have a Bolton and I had to find a sermon title. Drove me nuts. Because I'm really bad at it. You know this sermon, Holo My Name Is, the sermon title? Not for me. The creative types came up with it. Isn't it good? This series that we're in about us telling other people about our experience of Jesus, how we've come to that place where we've encountered him and he's changed our lives as we've entered into faith and just uh, know the reality of what that is. Not always easy, but good. Incredibly good. A life-changing reality. But I want to tell you today, I've got a sermon title for you. And I'm pretty proud of it. I'm going to give it to you because uh, like it's one, one in a million kind of thing, right? And today the sermon is entitled, I need a drum roll. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Responsive crowd this morning, I see. The title of today's sermon is The Anatomy of Our Story. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the anatomy of our story. Because what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to figure out from a story told in Scripture um, the anatomy of our story. We're going to look at how stories are put together, at least in this one instance, and I would tell you it's in other instances as well. You can see it as, as you go. So that we can tell, and this is the whole idea with this series, so that we can, we can form our stories well so that we can actually tell them to other people who don't know Jesus, who don't have, haven't had the experience of Christ that we have had. We can tell it simply and relatively quickly. We're looking for a three-minute story in the end of the day for all of us here, you know, about how you have come into this relationship with Christ, so that when people hear your story, um, they're going to then have the opportunity to go, wow, I'd like to know more about that. It's that simple. Uh, last Sunday, we jumped into this series. Um, since then, I have learned uh, that 75% of the Bible is story. I wish I'd known that last week. It would have fitted perfect. But I told you, like, the whole Bible, in essence, is God's story from beginning to end, from creation to when Jesus comes again in Revelation and re makes the whole world new, right? It's God's story that is unveiled. Jesus, remember, hold how many made up how many parables? Who, who remembers? Huh? Mm. I'm not that good a preacher, apparently, right? <laughs> Chalk one up more on the... Okay, no, I'm kidding. But 46 parables Jesus devised. 46 stories just made up. They're not real. They're just stories he made up in order to communicate a truth. And, the, and what we learned last week is that God uses stories to communicate his truth. And guess who has stories to tell? We do, right? Every single one of us. And our vision here, it's written into our vision, literally, as a church, is that hundreds of people who call IPC home will be able to tell their story in about three minutes whenever that opportunity arises so that people can understand their experience of Jesus and how it's transformed and blessed their lives so that those people might have an opportunity to find out more about who he is so that they too might come to faith if they wish. Okay? That's the context of where we're at, and today we're going to look at the anatomy of our story. We're going to go to the remarkable story of the Apostle Paul, that's just a leader in the early church, meeting Jesus. 
Now, this is an incredible story. Like, it, it, it's, it's dramatic. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It happens to a man who is named Saul, and he, he is renamed Paul after this. He's a very significant character in the formation of Christianity. People say, basically, Jesus and Paul formed Christianity. Jesus came. That's part of the God story. He was the Son of God. God, literally in human form with us, walked planet Earth, told us about God, told us about having a relationship with God, and then ultimately and most significantly, he died on a cross to take to himself our penalty, our punishment, so that we could go to the Lord and say, please forgive me for my sins, and God could and God would and God will, literally because Jesus took the penalty on the cross, and we don't have to anymore. We can be forgiven, and we can have a relationship with God. You see, Jesus, if you would, came and he lived that story to create the possibility and to teach us the core stuff. And then Paul came along after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus ascended to heaven and he just played out in depth all the beliefs about what we have learned in and through the person of Jesus. He, he, he gave it depth and substance and breadth. And of course, that's much of the New Testament that we have today. A re remarkable man. And we're going to look in this instance about, about how Paul came to this place uh, in his life where he encountered Jesus. Now, in the book of Acts, that's the book that is the story of the early church. Like, after Jesus died, the church formed, and, and, and what happened is an incredibly exciting story. But this story is told three times in Acts. It's, it tells us about when it happened. And then two more instances, Paul tells other people about it happening. What does that suggest to you about this story? It's important. And not only is this story important, it says again, stories are important. <laughs> Why would God's Spirit inspire somebody to put this story in the book three times? Because stories are powerful. Stories make a difference. Story communicate God's truth. So, we're, I'm going to read it to you now, uh, and I invite you to look... Uh, watch and read along with me as I read it to you from Acts chapter 9. Now remember, this, this is the story when it actually happened. And then what we're going to do is go to another instance where Paul tells the story and learn about the anatomy of, of our story. Okay, here we go. Ready for storytelling time? Want a story? It's like you're three years old and your parents are telling you a story. Here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's quite the beginning to the story, huh? <laughs> murderous threats. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he, Paul, found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Persecutor, right, of Christians. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, <clears throat> and you will be told what you must do. <clears throat> Excuse me. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but not, did not see anyone. <clears throat> Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. 
In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, note that, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, that's a great story, huh? It's the story of how, how Paul came to this place and he encountered the reality of the risen and living Jesus. Incredible. Incredible. Now, as I've said to you, we're going to look at another instance where Paul tells this story. Here's what I want you to note. This story is told in three parts, okay? Um, and I'm going to play those parts out for you. We would like you to see this. We would like you to learn them. And then we would like you to learn to tell your story in the same way, okay? We're going to study the text. We're going to see it's, that it's formed, the anatomy of a, of a story, our story. It has three parts. And whether it's in your life groups this week or whether you do it on your own, we'd love you to figure out what the three parts and, and, and use that as a means by telling your story, okay? So we're going to go to Acts chapter 6, 26 now, sorry. Acts 26. And uh, we're going to look at this instance where Paul tells another about his story. By the way, the person he's speaking to now is named Agrippa. Can I have that verse put up, please? Agrippa is, as, as he'll later say, he is a king. Who did, not, who did the Lord say uh, that Paul would go and speak to? To the Gentiles and their kings. It's already happening. God is so much at work in this man's life, it's remarkable. But listen, let me read to you uh, tw chapter 26, 1 to 11, and I want you to hear the first part of Paul's story, and it's all about the before. The before he met Jesus component of his life. Listen to this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. He's on trial, by the way, uh, on his way to Rome where he ultimately will die for his faith. He will be executed. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. I'm going to tell you my story. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they were willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised to our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it credible that God, um, incredible that God raises the dead? 
I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I, that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Here's Paul telling what his life was like before he met Jesus. He's being honest. He's being real. He's communicating to this king as he tells his story about what life was like before. Um... I want to tell you, my friends, we can write our stories, first of all, by coming to a place where we can describe our before. We all have them. We all have them. They're there. And I want to tell you, this is an opportunity to really connect with the people who live with us, um, because a lot of folks will be able to identify with our before if, if we are willing to be truly honest and speak with integrity, to tell them the truth about what the before really looked like. Um, we can't hide the bad stuff. Paul didn't. He's standing here and saying, I participated in the murder of Christians. Look in Acts earlier on, it says that when the first martyr was stoned to death, Paul stood and he collected the garments of the people who threw the stones. And I think, it doesn't say, but from everything we know of Paul, he probably had a smile on his face. He persecuted the Lord's people. He imprisoned the Lord's people. He did everything in his power to resist the reality of Jesus Christ, whom people had said was the Son of God, who'd been crucified, who'd been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. My friends, if we want to make impact, we can tell our before story, um, and we can be honest about it. And say the bad stuff too? Listen to me. Also, we can't embellish it. Oh, yeah, I was once an axe murderer and I spent time in penitentiary. And, like, no, no don't make stuff up. <laughs> Just be real and be authentic with your story, but be able to tell it uh, in a good way. So, the first part of the story that we would like you to identify is your before. And I hope already maybe the wheels are turning. The second part of the story that we're going to see in Paul and his story is the how. Literally, how did this man encounter the person of Jesus so that he changed from resisting Jesus and persecuting Christians and believing this was completely untrue to the point that he actually believed in Jesus? Well, let me, let's hear it from Paul's words himself. This is again Acts 26, verses 12 to 18. <clears throat> On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus and the authority, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. <clears throat> we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is, it, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. And I get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you and... Um, a point, I have appeared to you to 
appoint you as a servant, as a, as a witness of what has been seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, what, what we're hearing from Paul is how he first met Jesus. You know, how he encountered Christ. You know, how he, he went from resisting Jesus and, and hating Christians and, 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 and just being so opposed to the reality of this faith named Christianity that he <clears throat> not only dialogued with Jesus, but he entered into a relationship with him. You see, it's how Jesus broke into Paul's life, how Jesus revealed himself to this man. <clears throat> and it's then how Jesus... Here's Paul's response to his words. Jesus speaking and Paul responding. This is dialogue, right? This is interaction. You see, what we have here is Paul's conversion to faith. <laughs> now, I want to make this really clear to us, as I hope many of you will not only deal with your before component of your story, but will start to think about how you would describe your how component. <clears throat> not everybody encounters Jesus in the same way. We've got to... Hold on to this, you know? Let me ask you in all honesty, this is going to be a hard one, believe me. How many of you first met Jesus while you were walking on a road toward Damascus, you were struck down by a bolt of light from heaven, so much so that you were knocked to the ground, and when you stood up after having spoken to Jesus, you were blind, so that somebody had to come and lay their hands on you so that something like scales fell to your eyes so that you could see again? Let me see the hands. How many of you here encountered Jesus that way? Wise guy, right? None of us did. We don't all encounter Jesus the same way. You know, sometimes it's somewhat dramatic, like Paul. Sometimes it's, just, it, 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 it's a movement toward faith, and then there's a moment in time when we make a decision. Um, we heard about that last week in Alex's story, which, which was presented for us on our screens. Um, and that can be a beautiful reality. It, it can be an experience that is memorable and that you hold on to for a lifetime and that has deep significance to you. But sometimes people come to know Jesus and it's, a, it's more of a, a process. It's more of a progression toward him until they realize they believe. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, noticed our violin player. Where's Francis? Wave at me over here. And I asked her earlier today if this was an okay story to tell. Francis grew up in a, in a home that was absolutely hostile to Christianity and all religion. Uh, from the, her earliest days, that's what she was taught. Um, very scientifically oriented. Um, professor father, is that right? I'm remembering properly. And Francis became a professor of English literature. Um, but, she, you know, she just grew up, and this was in her veins. This was in her blood. Religion is nonsense. Christianity is terrible. Well, one day she wanted to teach violin somewhere, and she came along to us and said, well, can I teach violin in your building? And he said, sure. And Barb, who was leading the worship team at the time, <laughs> said, would you like to play violin with us? She still is. How many years later? <laughs> 20? Long time. And uh, so Francis would hear me yapping on a Sunday morning, you know, and she started to experience the love of God through God's people. One day she wanted to meet with me, and I can picture it in the old building across the road, and she sat down, and, and she said something, I, I might even get the exact words right, because I, I just remember it so clearly, she said, after some preliminary discussion, she said, Chris, I think I believe this, right? 
It, it emerged as a reality. She believed in Jesus as she had encountered him. I want, to, I want to tell you, my friends, sometimes it's a decision, sometimes it's a process. I'll tell you my little story. <clears throat> I was five years old. This is one of my earliest memories. I was a little beaner in a little town called Colsyth, Scotland. And I heard, or at least I, it registered for the very first time, through my mother speaking to me in the kitchen, that Jesus loved me and that I could have a relationship with him and I could go to heaven with him for all eternity. We just have to receive him into our hearts, confess our sin, invite him to come in. I want that. So I walked from the kitchen into the dining room and there was, you know, those you know, people have taller dining room chairs and I put my hand on the dining room chair. Well, it was like this actually. And I just prayed that little prayer, Jesus, I, I pray you'll forgive me my sin and I want you in my life and I want to be with you forever. I believe with all of my heart that was the day of my conversion, right? So whether it's a decision or whether it's a process, that's not, the, that's not critical, critical here. What's critical is that we're able to tell people about the, about the how in a way that's authentic and real. And we're going to ask you to that part of the anatomy of your story. And then the third part of the story that we're going to uh, look at from Paul basically talks about his life after. This is pretty simple, right? I keep telling you this. This is simple, simple stuff. Nobody knows your story better than you, apart from God, <laughs> and he'll help you write it down. Before, how, oh, and let's look at Paul's story after. <clears throat> this begins uh, Acts 26, 19 to 23. So then, King Agrippa, the story goes on, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. Understand that? But God helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, excuse me, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That he would bring that light, that message to the Gentiles. See, what Paul is saying here is, <clears throat> I have changed dramatically. <laughs> How do you go from persecuting Christians to becoming one of them? How do you go from persecuting Christians to become persecuted yourself because of your faith in Jesus? It's a dramatic shift. How do you go from resisting this, this new movement which is rooted in a belief that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins and that he had raised, been raised from the dead and was God in the flesh? How do you go from that resistance and fight to actually an embracing? Well, Paul tells a story about after. What came? The remarkable difference in the man and who he was in this moment now. And I want to tell you again, my friends, we can communicate <clears throat> the after, and if we will do it with honesty and authenticity, and if we will do it in a realistic way, it will make an impression. Now, it's important that we recognize that we don't tell people that life has become perfect or easy. Paul was not living a life that was perfect or easy in this moment. He was imprisoned. Uh, he had been beaten numerous times. He had been shipwrecked. You know the whole story, I suppose, some of you. 
<clears throat> and now he was really fighting for his life because he would then be sent on to Rome where he, as a Roman citizen, had appealed to Caesar and had the right to have Caesar adjudicate his case. And history tells us, not scripture, but history, that when that happened, Caesar chose to have his head removed from his shoulders. <laughs> Life wasn't easy for this man. It was hard. We can't, we can't, when we're talking about her after, we, we're not Pollyanna about it. Oh, I accepted Jesus into my life and everything's wonderful. No, <laughs> we don't do that. We tell the truth. We speak with authenticity. But what we do is we tell about a life which is no longer lived alone. It's lived with Christ being in that life, with God there to bless us, God there to strengthen us, God there to enable us. We tell them about this life that is, has been dramatically changed because Jesus is with me. Because Jesus is with me. It's important to note that Jesus, here Paul talks about the idea of forgiveness of sin and, and, and about repentance and, and these things which people need to hear. They say that someone who has no knowledge of Christianity needs to hear the message of Jesus, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, the need for us to confess our sin before him and find forgiveness so that we might be reconciled to God. People need to hear that 11 times before it starts to really register in their minds and in their hearts. We got to include that part, okay, about Jesus and the cross and forgiveness in him. But it's about the reality of the change that comes into my life. How have you changed? How are you different from the before part? What, what is different about your life now compared to was, what it was before you met Jesus and you came to faith? Now, a quick point here <clears throat> before we hear another story. And I want to go to uh, verse 28 in this chapter to tell it to you. Um, <clears throat> in the NIV, we're going to read it, the New International Version, and then we're going to read it in the, in the Message Version. This is one of those verses that it's hard, and there are some in the Bible that's this way, it's really hard to understand what the verse is actually saying. And I'm going to read two versions of the, uh, of the way it's been translated to you. <clears throat> after this description by Paul of his before, his how, and his after, it says this, then, King, uh, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? It's almost some, sounds like some sarcasm there, right? Well, listen to it in the message version. Um, verse 28 says this. But Agrippa did answer, keep this, much, keep this up much longer and you'll make a Christian out of me. <laughs> you know what King Agrippa is saying? If indeed that's the better way to translate the verse, he's saying, Paul, your story is persuasive. Me hearing about who you once were and your experience of meeting Jesus and about what you have become since. Man, it tempts me to believe in this Jesus of yours. I want to say unequivocally here this morning, every one of our stories, before, how, and after, has the power to bring people to that point. Has, has, has the power to allow the Spirit of God to work in the mind of another person to say, whoa, that's really something. And some of them will say, will you tell me more? And they will come to know ultimately <clears throat> the relationship with Jesus, the encounter with Jesus in their own way that we have come to know. So, three sections. Here's what we want you to do. Um, this week in your life groups or otherwise if you choose, um, start to write your own story. And we're going to show you two videos, one very short and then one longer, about the story of someone in our church. 
um, who was very brave, I really must say that, in telling her story the way that she does. And as we watch the first video, we're going to learn first steps that we might take. So let's watch this now. Can you stop the video, please? Stop. I, I have to say this. What you're about to see is not scripted, okay? It's not acted. You might think it is just because of who's involved, because she acts in our church and dramas and so forth. But this is kind of happening in real life as uh, Kendra uh, responds to questions that are put to her. All right, let's go. <clears throat> So just, if you could think of one word for your life, before, before I met you, lost. That I don't even have to think about it. I was lost. If you could think of that one word for when you encountered When I encountered him the first time, hope. So I was lost, then there was hope, and then there, the third word would be freedom. So lost hope, freedom. So now the sentence is. Okay. Um, and it's basically just, you're just gonna fill in what I said, like before I met Jesus, okay. I felt lost. And it could be a because, like a short. Okay. So just a, yeah, short sentence. Okay. If you want, or yeah. if you just yeah. want. Um, so before I met Jesus, I was lost. Um, because I knew that he was there, but I didn't, I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, when I met Jesus, I found... So when I met Jesus, I found an abundance of hope that um, there could be an end to the suffering that I was feeling, that I kept well hidden. And after I met Jesus, there was, there's nothing but freedom. There's, you, it's just freedom. It's just a peace that cannot be explained. It's a freedom that, there aren't any other words to describe it. You're just free. There's Kendra beginning to unpack her story. And this week you're going to be asked, what are your three words? Simple. In life groups. I'm, as I'm asking you now otherwise. Will you think about it? I mean, Kendra was able to answer it like that. Didn't even need to be asked the third word. You just jumped in with it. Hope. After that, hope. And each of us will have our own word, which we can unpack into a sentence. And it's the beginning of our forming of our story so that we might share it with others. Uh, what follows is a more full expression of that uh, 
three-word, three-sentence description, and let's watch it now. Hi, my name is Kendra. I have been attending IPC for five years now. Uh, you may know me from such classics as Christmas Eve service and kids camp and the front door. <laughs> In my teens and into my early 20s and when I was at university, I had very, very low self-esteem. Um, I thought I had to find a man to make me worthwhile, that only by finding a man to love me would I then be a worthwhile human being. And when I was 35, I was engaged to be married and found out that, and found out that I was pregnant. Um, and all I had ever wanted in my life was to be a mom. So I was very excited and I called my fiance at the time and his immediate response was well we need to make an appointment and his I knew right then and there that his the appointment he was talking about and the appointment I was talking about were two very different appointments so um, that led to um, three months of a lot of fighting and a lot of angst um, and a lot, a lot, a lot of fear. And it led to a violent incident once. Um, and then I became deathly, deathly ill. And when I say deathly, I'm not exaggerating. I was very, very sick. And so a decision was made um, to end the pregnancy. And so at 35 years old, I ended up having an abortion. I never thought in a million years that that would be something that I would choose to do. And it ended up being done and that um, led into just a downward spiral. A year after that, n knowing now God placed two angels in my life and they started taking me to IPC. and. Um, so I started going to church, but I still wasn't quite there. I still didn't get it. I still didn't know that you could have a relationship with God. I just thought that God was there and he either wanted you and liked you or he didn't. And I was convinced that every bad thing that happened in my life from the abortion on was God punishing me. So I felt like I deserved whatever I was getting at this same time, I had a cousin who I was very close to who had fought a brain tumor for 10 years. And at this time that I started going to church, she passed away of her brain tumor. So at her funeral, Kim had requested that we be given the opportunity to give our hearts to Jesus. And so it was at that moment that I did. So it was this horrible, 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 sad moment um, that had this side of it that was beautiful and wonderful and very freeing, but I still didn't get it. <laughs> I still didn't get that you could have a relationship with God and I still thought that God hated me and that I needed to earn His love. And then two years ago, 
I was having coffee with a friend in a cafe and out of nowhere, I burst into tears. Um, and I said, I had an abortion and God's never gonna love me. And at that moment, God took it away. And he said, this isn't yours to deal with anymore, it's mine. Um, and you are good enough and I do love you and you are worthy and it was gone and it's the greatest freedom I have ever felt in my life the biggest weight taken off my shoulders ever in my life it was a happy moment <laughs> even though but it was a freedom I never ever thought that I could feel and I know now that I have him and that no matter what I do he's going to love me and I'm going to be good enough <laughs> even though you accept Jesus into your life that doesn't mean that everything from that point forward is going to be um, perfect it's not. Life is going to be hard. It's going to still give you trials. You're still going to have tribulations. You're still going to have rough patches. Tragedies will still happen, but the difference is that you now have someone that you can turn to. You now have someone that you can lean into. You now have that one person who is never going to leave you, will always, always, always be with you. Um, so you never have to feel alone again and you never have to feel unworthy and that is the beautiful part of this. That's the most wonderful part of this. It's funny because I always wanted, I always wanted to feel worthy in a man's love and I didn't even realize that there was a man there the whole time. <laughs> that I didn't even, he was there the whole time. See, there is the power of a story of someone whose life has been transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any sermon that can speak more powerfully to the reality of Jesus than that. It was, it's, it's a beautiful story. It's a moving story. It's a story that communicates the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God. The truth about how God loves us and accepts is not because of what we do, but because of who we are. The power of story. I want to tell you, my friends, if you have met Jesus, if you have a before and you have a how and you have an after, you have the power of story in your hands and you can tell it and God will use it and lives will be changed.
some of you might think, <clears throat> well, Kendra has quite a story. <laughs> and many other people have quite the story, but my story's boring. Anybody thought that already? It's not boring. I believe with all of my heart that God will take whatever story you tell and he will use it for his purposes if we will simply craft it with honesty and authenticity. And thank you, Kendra. And share it from our hearts with people who need to know Jesus. Your story is not too boring. What's critical is not the dramatic nature of your story, it's the movement of the Spirit as we speak with honesty and with love. I'm going to make one little caveat that I meant to drop in earlier, and it's this. <clears throat> a lot of you, like me, don't have a whole lot of before. I was five. I hadn't been an axe murderer, or I hadn't spent time in penitentiary. I don't even remember much of what happened before five, a little bit here and there. <clears throat> so you don't need to spend so much time on the before if you don't have much of one. Just spend more, describe your upbringing, describe what it was like. But spend more time on the how and the after. That's all you need to do. But my friends, leave this place today knowing that God has so worked in your life that you have a story to tell, that he by his spirit will go before you and as he gives you opportunities to tell your story and as you tell them honestly and sincerely, and vulnerably sometimes. God will show up and God will work. My friends, you're going to go into this week, <clears throat> some of you to life groups, and we're just going to simply ask you, number one, what is your word? Can you build a sentence around it? That's it. That's step one. Let me say this to you again. Now, let me say this to you for the first time. I don't think there's anybody who wants you to tell your story more than Jesus. You've got that encounter with him, assuming that you do. He's blessed you in the way that he has. It's your story. And it's in the Lord's heart that you just go from this place to write down your words and write down your sentence and in time write down your three-minute story or longer if you wish. And the Lord Jesus wants us to tell our stories. And I just want to finish again with, with our vision. Can you dream with me? If we had, let's call it, I don't know how many, I'm not even going to do that. Hundreds of people who call IPC home, who prepare, and who share their stories with people in an ongoing fashion. Can you imagine what God would do? Oh my goodness, I think the Lord would move and the Lord would open eyes. Just like Paul, people aren't literally going to have been blinded, but they are blind, they can't see. And unlike Paul's story where scales will literally fall from his eyes, their eyes will be opened to see. And they will start having this discussion with Jesus and enter into a relationship with him and go from that point to live an incredibly different life, not an easy life, but a life lived in relationship with Christ and a life lived for him. My friends, let's take hold of that vision.
Let's take hold of the opportunity. Let's pray for opportunities to share our stories. And then when God provides them, let's let him work by his Holy Spirit that eyes might be opened, that lives might be changed, that people precious to God might come to know his love, might come to know what it means as we have to live in relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I know so many people here who have had their encounter with you in their own beautiful way. They have moved from their before into the how where they have somehow met you. Somehow being able to in one way or another, come to that place where they recognize that they are sitting or standing in your presence and they begin to hear your voice, whether it be in a life group or through a friend or in a church service. They just know that they're in the presence of the living Jesus. And they've heard you speak into their lives and they've responded as Paul heard you speak and as he responded. They've come to that place of faith and they've found forgiveness of their sin just by confessing to you and They've become yours, invited you into their lives. And then, Lord, they've gone from that how into the after, and they've become changed people, knowing life is different because you're in it. Father God, I thank you we all have a story to tell. And I pray that this church, as it goes from this place this morning into life groups or whether people choose to do it on in their, in their homes, Lord, I pray that you'll give them the word that describes the three sections. You'll give them a sentence which describes the word. And then in time, you'll give them the story that plays out each of those three sentences so that we become people who are prepared to communicate the reality of Jesus, the Jesus whom we've come to know and love. God, make us a church which becomes used in a powerful way to share your truth with people who don't know you. God, bless our life group meetings this week. Go before us, Holy Spirit. Meet us in those places. Work in our minds and in our hearts and enable us to be storytellers Jesus' sake. God, this we pray in Jesus' name.